0: Hey everybody. Welcome back to the Rifles Only Accuracy podcast. In keeping with a larger quantity and today, definitely a much better quality. I mean, I've had some really, really good people on lately. Uh, thanks to all of them, uh, people at, at uh, Proof, Bartland, Manners i uh like i said this is the rifles only actually podcast we have questions that have been coming in on the on the email roap at riflesonly.com that are associated with the podcast keep them coming but because of time constraints i'm not going to answer any of those questions right now i'm going to move right into our our guest um this one is a special guy to me uh i really really appreciate you being on with us george gardner of ga precision say hi sir yeah
1: i'm glad to be with you been been a long time coming you know we've known each other for i think it's about
0: 23 or 24 years now yeah it's a long time i was just sitting on the walk over here i was thinking dang how long have we known each other it's been a while man it has been a while yeah. well good well like you know like i said i think you know, i have listened to you on uh, several other podcasts and had a really good idea of um of what you do at ga precision and stuff but i'd like to recap that a little bit when did you get started with this george
1: um I, I, shot high power competition kind of before the long range, you know, bolt rifle gig. Um, it was always, you know, super interesting to me is just shoot cross the course high power and started kind of building my own stuff about 1997. Yeah. Um, just, you know, no business involved in it. Just, you know, build my own M14 M1A and even some of the earlier heavy, uh, AR 15 type cross the course guns. And that morphed into my wife deciding she wanted to go back to school as a nurse and you know me having a, a lonely canine cop's income decided to maybe try to build a few guns to, to make up some income so started gf precision i got my federal firearms license in 1998 uh, started out you know fairly slow building mainly guns for law enforcement SWAT teams you know a few competitors um and you know, as timing would be, you know, you remember those early days of 98, 99 when, when you and Whittington started, like, kind of the first matches in the country of, of right. our game now. So, um, perfect timing, I guess, for me. You know, I wasn't planning on getting into building competition rigs for, for this style of shooting at first. You know, it was more swap cop type stuff. But right. as luck would have it, I met you and some other guys, and it, it morphed into kind of the way it is today. So...
0: Well, let me back up just a little bit. You were, um, you were, you were, you're a veteran. You're in the military, correct?
1: Yeah. I was a military policeman from 1987 to 1993. Okay. Got out, of, got out in 93 and became a sheriff's deputy in Platte County, Missouri, which is just kind of north of the Kansas City area, the north side of Kansas City. Yeah. And then, uh, switched to North Kansas City Police Department in 95. Okay. So,
0: and so when, yeah. when did you, when did you, when did you just start, you know, just say, okay, I'm going to take that jump and, and just build, only build guns.
1: Um, so our retirement vested me with my prior military and prior service and the sheriff's department in 2005 is when mm-hmm. I vested in the retirement program. So that I stayed until then just so I'd, I didn't leave the police force with, with nothing. So right. I do have a, a retirement still from the police department. So in I actually left completely in oh seven. I stayed on as a reserve officer for a little bit, but I couldn't give them as much time as as they wanted for some of the special stuff that the reservists do there. So I, I left completely in two thousand seven.
0: Okay. All right. Well, man, that's amazing. You know, i've 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 seen you know I have owned uh, a multitude of GA rifles, and I have seen even, you know, a multitude, multitude more of those come through here, you know, during classes and things like that. In fact, I sent you a picture of one the other day that was kind of an oldie, but a goodie, as you call it. I said, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, I've seen those come through here a lot, man. What is the... The, one of the things that I've been asking the guys in the company, like I said, I want to go in a different direction with this, but one of the things that I've been asking the guys, you know, in the companies lately is, you know, let's say, and I know, I know that that you're you're a busy guy, and I know that that GA Precision is busy, but let's say that you had all the material on hand, you had a barrel blank, you had a receiver, you had a stock, you had everything, and I called you up and I said, hey, man. I need I need a rifle in six five Creedmoor and I need it really fast. How long How long does it take you to go from start to finish on building one of your custom long range rigs?
1: Yeah, so our guns, at least ninety five percent of them, get a full bed job, which is for the most part a forty eight hour process if you do it correctly. Mm-hmm. Um, we can get the action in, especially if it's one of the. The newer, you know, Remington 700 derivatives, and there's, you know, of course, lots of them out there Impact, Defiance, you know, Big Horn. And those actions don't need any serious work. You can check the right. lugs for engagement. 99.9% of the time, they're going to be perfect. Right. Check it, you know, check the headspace off the front of the action, write those numbers down, whatever little computer program that spits out a basically a blueprint sheet that's kept on file for the customer. Yeah. That sheet follows the barrel and the action to uh, our turning department. Um, literally, I mean, if I handed it right to the guy and said, I need this to be the next one, um, you know, he goes to the box, pulls a reamer out, you know, sets the machine up. You know, puts the board to center and uh, starts threading and, and boring a hole and then finishing the, the chamber work and then flips it and does the muzzle work. Uh, he can only hand it back back to me. depends on the guy. I mean, some of my better guys that have been around a long time can probably turn that around in realistically 30 minutes to an hour. Yeah. Um, once the barrel to action goes back into the vetting department, they fit it to the stock, make sure there's no high points, make sure it fits dead center in the stock we'll put those pillars in, make sure the pillars are centered and the action sitting in the stock properly and those pillars need to completely cure the, in the epoxy first. Mm-hmm. Once those are cured, which again takes, even if you did it early in the morning, I'm not super skeptical always, you can put it in the evening, but the next morning you can put it completely in bedding and if the, the bed jump comes out perfect the first time, the next day you pull it out, the stock goes back in the mill room, it's, uh, all the, the excess material from the bedding milled out to be nice and clean looking stock goes more than likely back to manners for quick cleanup and a final spray of uh, armor grip and then at the same time we put the the metal through cerakote if, if the customer wants you know a color on it sometimes they don't they just want the action left melanated and the barrel spun polished so i would say realistically just like there's been exceptions where we do stuff quicker when the guns don't have to be better than they're being put in a chassis where we can turn a gun around in one day, but most likely it's going to be 48 hours.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, cool, man. Yeah. Well, I was talking to, uh, I was talking to Robert from, uh, from manners and, uh, mm-hmm. about their process and how, how they do all that. it's, uh, it takes a lot longer to make a stock.
1: Oh yeah. A lot longer. <laughs> and yeah, the thing with the, the, there is the same reason as, as ours really that is, is a lot of, a curing of a different epoxies. I mean, they'll. I'm real familiar with their process because they're just down the street from me. But right. you know, they make that shell. The shell comes out the next morning. You know, and then they can put those two halves of the shell together. That needs to cure. Then they fill the shell. That needs to cure. And yep. it goes in the mill mill room and gets the, the inlet put in. But then it goes into another room where all these girls just sit there and sand on it with sandpaper. That's I want to say really for them realistically, it's a four day process at the absolute quickest. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. We went, we went through all of that and he was talking, it was pretty fascinating the way that that works. So, yeah. well, yeah, cool deal. Well, uh, another thing that, uh, I know that I know you have a long, uh, history on designing cartridges. And one of the things that has come out of late has been your six GT. How's that working out for you?
1: It's working out really good. And like better actually than, than expected. Um, and the whole reason behind it, I mean, people have probably heard this, we talk about this before, but I'll repeat it here because it's kind of important. Um, it, you hear, you hear guys when they see us doing another cow, oh, that's just another fancy six millimeter to get business. Well, in this case it's really not, it solves a couple issues um, that have kind of been going on for a while and that's, the BR derivative cartridges are great, super crazy accurate cartridges. I mean, obviously they were designed for bench rest. So they're designed completely with accuracy in mind and nothing else. And since bench rest guns are single shot, no one ever designed any of those cartridges to feed. They're just made to be in top of a single shot action and close. So um, there's been a million mag kits and different magazine types and different stuff that, that kind of gets them working. but They don't ever work 100% perfectly. Well, as a gunsmith, especially a precision guy and a guy that's been competing for a while, I'd, I didn't think that was acceptable from a, a gunmaker standpoint. So the idea was to come up with a cartridge that had those accuracy derivatives still, you know, that worked with a low-volume charger, faster-burning powder like Varget. And could still feed really well from all the magazines that are out there today. Obviously, all the AI CS magazines, the AW mags that, that you're really accustomed to, and the right. AI guns, mm-hmm. and they, that's where the GT came from. And the GT stands for George on one side and Tom Jacobs on the other. And you know, Tom Jacobs being a
0: pretty world-renowned
1: VentureS guy, yep. and, and me being a, a PRS, you know, sniper match type guy. Yeah, and we put our heads together and came up with that caliber that would work across both genres and it's really done well the guys that were sick of the brs not feeding all the time really love them i mean the diehards that have always been with the brs they'll just fight through them and keep messing with magazines and stuff and they make them work i mean obviously guys win with them but yeah from a the consumer standpoint from a manufacturer i don't want to give something to someone i know that eventually they will have issues with, especially if those mags come out of tune so
0: yeah well, very cool, man. Yeah, that's a uh, it's it's interesting. You know, the it, whenever I started this, one of my one of my mentors in this thing was uh, Jacob Godforson. As you know, he's a big bench wrestler. and uh, oh yeah. And so it was kind of like, you know, I went over to a bench rest match with them one time. And it was, I mean, it was it was truly like watching the grass grow. I mean, I'd never been so bored in my life. But the guys who were actually <laughs> shooting it, you know, they're into it. You know, I mean, it's it's just it's kind of kind of like our game, you know, it's it's uh yeah, it's it's really not a spectator sport, but you know, whenever you're in it, you know, it's really, really exciting and really, really a lot of fun. But I learned a lot from him, you know, especially about like reloading. And one of the things at the time, you know, he's not doing it anymore, but whenever he was doing it, he'd get ready for a season. And he would order in 10 barrels. And so he would shoot all of them. And whichever one shot the best, that's the one he would use for the season. And so his other nine barrels would go in a closet, and they would just sit there. And so I was over there at the house one time, and he opened up the closet. And, George, I shit you not, man, as a regular size closet, I guess probably four feet wide, it was stacked about three-quarter just with barrels. And I thought, you know, somebody like me, we would die for any one of those barrels. You know what I mean? But... (laughs) <laughs> they, go to, they go to they go to they go to a competition and they're trying to shoot group size and it's like your group size better be if it if it's point a number it's like thanks for showing up you know what i mean it's like better yeah. be point zero and a number so yeah you can learn a lot from those interest guys that's for sure
1: yeah i was i know a bunch of guys with closets like that it always perturbed me that none of the twists that they use for short range interest will cross over to what we do in long range so right. for guys like you and I that maybe a gun to in the point two ish area. Is good to go at any, at any match. Right. Those, those barrels are no good to us because they only will flop 40 and 60 grain bullets out. So
0: yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> I don't know, man. I did have a, I did have a, a, a young a couple come in for, for the, uh, for the brawl in February. And um, I heard that she was shooting uh 22 Creedmoor. And so yep. I, I knew about six Creedmoor, but not too much about 22. So I kind of, I kind of played stalker over there whenever she went to go and, and shoot off the thousand and listen to the numbers. And so, uh, right. man, I, as I was walking off the tower, I ordered in a 22 Creedmoor barrel. I figured the funnel probably yep. lasts about a thousand rounds, but what the hell it's going to go work really good on Prairie dogs. I think.
1: Yeah. The whole advent of the 90 and 95 grand bullets has made the 22 a really great long range color. In fact, the, the 90 grain a tips have a higher PC than the six mm ten. So yep. there's quite a few guys you Know using 22 Creedmoor and then they've take, taken the GT and made it a 22 already. Yeah, I saw that and a lot of guys are shooting 22 GTs as well. But yeah, the, the numbers are really good. You know, back in, I remember back in the day when a lot of the targets we used were, you know, the falling LaRue's and, yeah. and no one would ever brave to show up with a twenty-two or a mil because you couldn't knock the plates over. Exactly. Well, as soon as those falling plates went away, some of them smaller calibers, as long as you got a good spotter on the, on the target, still work really well.
0: Yeah. We put those, we putting those, um, those lights on there for that. Yeah. And, um, yeah. you know, which was working really good. And then I got, I got sent a product. I haven't put it on yet. Um, but it's uh, what it is is it's 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 like a, a container that carries powder behind it and you velcro that to it. Mm-hmm. And whenever you hit it, I've seen all the videos on it, it looks really cool. You hit it and it, it hmm. gives you an indicator too. And that on the video I saw, he was actually shooting it just regular, regular 5, 5, 6, 77 grain. And so it's uh hmm. it should work pretty good. I'm gonna I'm gonna try it out before and that uh,
1: hooks in the target so it just knocks powder out from behind the target. Yeah, or?
0: exactly. It velcro's right to the steel on the back. And so whenever you hit it, and I was, he was concerned whenever he was doing it, he was concerned that it would, it, you know, you'd have to go out there and fill it up every hour. But right. he was out there. He says, "No, nah, man. He says it's fine." He fills it up about seven eighths with that powder, and just bang on it all day long. Go out there and still, still have about half left. So
1: interesting. Yeah. So oh, I'm, that's uh, actually an interesting. I've seen guys that have taken, especially the E.L.R. guys, that they'll just put a big, large, like ten by 10 foot square of talc around yep. the, the target and if you miss you see the talc obviously spit up from right. around it but yep. it's only this basically show a miss but then I remember back in the day when we shot out of the helicopter a bunch of airplanes you always used some kind of a powder inside of some buckets to show hits and it worked really good too
0: yeah what I did is uh, take those molasses buckets that you use for cattle And um, Mm -hmm. then I would just go, I'd go to the dollar store and buy every bit of of baby powder that they had and go over there and put, you know, just cut it open, put, you know, three or four of those bottles of baby powder. And that's, that's what we've used, you know, with the competition out of the helicopter, as well as the aerial platform training, it it makes a really good reactive target that, you know, it's going to get shot up. So you might as well, might as well get something that's going to be cheap.
1: Sure. And talc's cheap and it doesn't hurt those for the environment or the
0: cows or whatever what it exactly out, so. exactly exactly well gt's there um do you you have any other things on the horizon cartridge wise that you're looking at or that piqued your interest no. that you're thinking about
1: i mean to be honest like a lot of the calibers i came up with in the past like not all of them ever got anywhere you know in any big numbers um some people remember the sixth crusader i did a long time ago it was kind of for a specific purpose of sending a six mil bullet really fast mm-hmm. in a short action, but as people learn, you don't really have to go super fast in the sport. So it, it kind of died. There's still, you know, an inkling of guys using it for coyote and environment shooting, but yep. that cartridge never went anywhere and I never had brass made or anything. So it's still a full blown wildcat. Yep. You know, the six Creedmoor you know it, it wasn't really an invention of any sort it was you know done as an article for john snow just to do an article in a magazine on how to wildcat a cartridge and that was the year the six five creedmoor came out so we just decided well hey the six five creedmoor just dropped onto the market you know why don't we be the first person to, to uh to wildcat it so we got horny on board and that he wrote that article and then couple years later, i am still got this reamer hanging around the shop. I'm like, you know that what that'd be really awesome in is a gas gun because you know the old two forty three is just a little bit too long when you put a high B C bolt in it to fit in a mag right. Yeah. And the six cream fit perfectly. So a couple of us you know, you know, Jeff Badley, myself yep. and Jeff Badley were shooting in a gas guns at some of those gas gun competitions. And then a couple other dudes were like, Hey, i would about to put it in a bolt gun. That's kinda where of that was born. Well then as soon as there's you know, fifty to one hundred guys that are shooting it, they all want brass that that says what they're shooting on it. Right. Mainly back then, it was be able to pick up the right brass at the range. But I asked Hornady what it would take to to get brass that was properly head stamped, and it literally was just a dollar amount. Like, the, here's how much the heading stamp costs and here's how many you have to buy. And I think I remember I was like a hundred thousand, maybe two hundred thousand. I don't remember. It was a big big step for me back in the day because. Mm-hmm. I think I was still a cop, of just just left being a cop. I Man, that's a lot of money, but it ended up working out. Yep, they took that over. Um, you know, the six-five song would have been the next one, and it was it was again done for a reason. Mm-hmm. Uh, PRS came out with that rule on, you know, thirty cal or less, and you no know, for no faster than thirty-two hundred feet a second. So right. it's more of a in my mind trying to think what would be the bullet you could push to thirty-two hundred in a short action. And it, it was either going to be a seven or a six five. Well, the sevens you couldn't quite get there, right? And the six fives you could, and the BCs were, were close enough, and that's kind of where that star was born. Yeah, but uh, you know, the six five PRC is a, a derivative of that. It was just mainly Hardy wanting to play in that game, and and, and always remembered that I talked to them first about it, but they were busy with. After that Newtown, Connecticut shooting, making all the ammo they could during that buying spree and just couldn't right. play ball. But they came back later and said, Hey, we still want to do the 6.5 thing. You're still interested. So, of course, we used a, a case that they were already making in the Ruger Compact Mag line, mm-hmm. which is a non rebated rim, which really makes that cartridge nice. Yeah. So the, the saw almost fed good in a magazine, but that rebated rim kept it from being. A good hunting round and a top loader. Right. And there's lots of hunting guys that just won't. I've heard every excuse in the book on why, but mainly they just won't use a detachable magazine. They got to have a top loader.
0: Right. Right.
1: So the PRC really took off not only for long range shooting, but as a hunting cartridge. It's like literally, I think, their second highest grossing hunting cartridge at, at Hornady now. Of course, everyone makes it, so it really did well. Wow, that, and, then the G, and then the GT was after that. Like some of the other PRC offerings that they've done, I get linked to them, but to be honest, other than naming the 6.5 PRC and then, you know, always letting me be one of the first ones to build something for them for testing. Mm-hmm. I, I had very little to do with the 7 or the, or the 300. That was stuff that they already had visions of doing in their team, you know, right. together. But somehow I would get linked to those. And, and I, I guess I'm linked to them in name and yep. in being involved, but they're definitely not creations of mine
0: at all right well I, I i gotta tell you man i am i am i am head over heels in love with Six Creedmore, and it's just i mean it's just i love that cartridge it was um i had gone over uh, last year uh well yeah last year my father passed away and so i was gonna you know he hadn't been out to his place where he hunts very often over the last two years and so i decided i was going to go over there and check out the place like two weeks after he passed and I was getting ready to hop in the car and i said you know man if i don't if i don't take a rifle with me i'm gonna see that you know 14 point double drop time whitetail you know what i mean and so so i grabbed up the gun and i got the the six five or the six millimeter creedmoor barrel on it went over there and i saw the deer and everything else and then i saw something else i said man let me just pick up that let me pick up the scope so i put the i said it was a female nail guy i'd never seen a nail guy on his on this property ever and it just it just weren't there um so I call Lisa on the phone and I'm I'm sitting there in the in the driver's seat of my F-250 because this is Texas and this is how we do shit. And So uh, right. I call Lisa on the phone and I said, Lisa, there's a female no guy over here. And she goes, are you going to shoot it? I said, I don't know if I'm going to shoot it or not. And she goes, well, we could use the meat. And so before she got to the T in the word meat, I pulled the trigger and uh, sure. the regular, regular Hornady, you know, Hornady, uh, you know, match out of there and it dropped it right there. And I was thinking, man, I can't, you know, that, that I'm, I'm sure I'll catch a lot of shit for hunting. You know, what is, you know, uh, you know, it's big game. It's thick skin game, you know, with a, a six millimeter Creed bore, but I was scheduled to go on an elk hunt. I mean, within a week of that, and it worked so well i thought well i'm just going to take it on the elk hunt so i ended up getting an elk with a six millimeter creedmoor too so i, I mean within seven <laughs> days i ended up with with two i mean i really 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 nicely stocked freezer and you know with, yeah. with that little with that little bitty cartridge it worked out so good it was fantastic
1: i've uh never hunted no guy i've, I've tasted it quite a bit at your place when you're grilling it but I've always kind of wanted to shoot one of those. I think they're cool, but I've also heard that they're really hard to kill. So that is a pretty good testament of that cartridge because most people I've talked to, the hunted kind of nail guy, said that they're they're a tough animal. They don't they don't like to die easy.
0: Yeah. Oh no. Well, and I got uh, the two years previous, I got I was on a coal nail guy hunt and I got two of them with two of them with six five Creedmoor in one day. And this, this was the first time I'd shot one with the six millimeter Creedmoor. But you know, and, and George, a lot of it was you know i i knew where the i knew exactly where the bullet was going to go you know what i mean there's that was not yeah. in question at all and so maybe if the maybe if someone is um you know having thinking that they're may not have the the skill to be able to pull off a shot like that there's no shame in that because not everybody not everybody lives on a shooting range like i do you know what i mean 100%. and so yeah so if it it turns out then you know that i'd say go up in caliber a little bit especially if you're going to hunt that you know that game that and no guy are hard to kill i mean i've i have hit them in in both lungs with a three hundred wind mag, and they've still gone three hundred yards you know they They yeah. are a very, very tough animal, but uh man, the flavor george <laughs> oh, yep, you- I know
1: it's good you know, yeah. i've had it I've had it at your place in the form of just steak and sausage, and it's some of the best game that I think I've ever had
0: Oh, no question, no question. I was talking at a client over the weekend. And he said that, you know, he's, he had shot the, he was telling me about killing his bull nail guy. And he says, yeah, he says, people who hunt nail guy, they, they shoot one bull and the rest are the cows. And it's just because of the meat. I mean, the meat is so, is so good. I mean, it, it, and they're, they're prolific down here. It seems like they're popping up everywhere now.
1: Oh, cool. yeah. I've got yeah you, a- have, you used to have a client that came down by you all the time. I know his first name was Tom. I don't remember his last name, but he, he always talked about all the
0: mill no guy at his place. Yeah, yeah, I don't know what happened to that guy, but uh yeah, he had a place down here uh south of us. And there was a bunch of no guy. I actually, I actually went out there and and did some uh did some classes on his property out there and it was it was literally uh scoot them off the road so you could drive down the ranch. And this was, you know, this <laughs> has been a long time ago. And so now, now they are even more. I mean, we're seeing them we're seeing them everywhere. There's a a buddy of mine from high school and he he started out as a fishing guide here in Baffin Bay and it, it was really? one of those yeah it's, it's one of those things that I, I'd scheduled to go fishing with him one day and he calls me the night before and he's kind of in a panic he says Jacob I can't take you out and I said why and he says well I just don't know where the fish are let me take tomorrow and I'll find the fish because I'm not going to take you out there unless you get a limited trout I said fine no problem he's done that twice I mean how many guides would uh-huh. do that you know what I mean say hey let, let me go and find them. And so he did, but he started doing, he started doing nighttime Nell guy hunts with thermal and it's, it, mm-hmm. you just, you just show up. I mean, he's got everything he's got, he's got the, the rifle, the thermal he, you know, of course they fill dress the animal, all that crap, 95% success rate, George, 95%. Yeah. And it's just, okay. it's, it's really easy go out and hunt, you know, until, until you get one. And he's, he's got, yeah. uh, I guess 7,000 acres that he's using and it's, it's full of them. And
1: you get to late leave with a heck of a, a lot of great-tasting meat that no one on planet Earth would would believe is game meat oh, if I know. they weren't told it was. Crazy. I know. I got a interesting story. It kind of plays right into what we were talking about with the, the Sixth Creed or more on the, the reason that you're successful with it is, you know, obviously your your capability. But I had a customer show up out of the blue in the office as a female, she said that she was going on her very first hunt. Didn't have a gun. <laughs> obviously never shot a gun, but for some reason decided, actually I do know the story. She was at some type of a uh, charity event and they were auctioning off a buffalo hunt. Yeah. And she decided to help out the the, chari- the charity by buying the hunt. Uh, so she actually purchased two of them, one for her and one for the general manager of the business she owned, which she was very successful, obviously. Mm-hmm. She, uh, Jeff, if there's any guns that could be done by January, and this is in mid-December, yeah, and I'm like, this is not how this game works. But <laughs> you're kind of, sort of in luck. We had built a run of six-five PRC lightweight carbon barrel hunting rifles, and those a couple, you know, that would be finished in time for for her hunt. Mm-hmm. I said that would be the only choice you had. She's like, no problem. Put the best scopes you have on them. Give me, you know, six or seven boxes of, of ammo for each one, and uh, and we'll come pick them up. So I, I kind of slowed her down, like well, let me slow your roll just a little bit. I don't mind showing you the gun, and I don't mind selling you the ammo. But if you've never hunted before, never shot or rifle, I'd strongly, before anything else, tell you that you should probably schedule a day at the range. Yeah, and and learn a little bit about these guns and 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 how to shoot. You know, from different positions because most likely it's not going to be a prone type shot on right. a Buffalo. And she listened to me. She flew on her jet and went to the range of Brian for a few hours and it was a really shitty day. It was super windy and it wasn't the best day for training, but yeah. December, day, December where
0: you are, I bet it sucked.
1: Yeah. That, that it was terrible actually. But anyway, she, she tucked it out. Brian said she's you know amazing woman to come and to suck it up and, and train a little bit. But anyway, um, she, she tells Brian that she was super worried because the guide which I'm sure is not much of a guide. Most buffalo hunts are kind of like there it is, shoot it. But yep. the guide told her under no circumstances could she shoot anything less than a 30-yard six. What was the actual turn used? It had to be a 30 six or bigger. Okay. So I actually started texting. I said, look, I said I'm not like discounting your guide, but have him just do a little bit of math, and and he'll learn that the The velocity and the energy from a 6.5 five PRC is actually greater than the thirty out six, if that's what he's worried about. Yeah. Um, but she was super, super worried about it. like that. he he said he'd let me use it, but like it would be on us if it didn't kill the animal, blah 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 So she was super worried. I said, look ma'am, trust me, I, I would as long as you spend the time out there training and you're comfortable with the gun and can place a shot where you're supposed to place it, like you're not gonna have any issue whatsoever. Right. So she, she agreed that, that it would be okay and of course I know she's still worried about it so then it made me worry because you know someone I'm not really wanting her to go screw up a hunt because I know how much money she spent on this whole thing right I called Neil and said hey uh, I know I knew he was coming out with a new CX bullets, which is just a, a solid copper bullet that'll penetrate a little bit better and six five yeah and uh he's like it's not out yet I mean like, yeah I know I need to the brother hooked up on a few boxes of ammo. I said, don't worry about it. The person that's going to be shooting It won't have any fucking clue at all what she's shooting. She's right. just, it's just a cartridge. So I got a couple boxes of that in her hand and zeroed the gun and she went out there. And the the, end of the, the result is she made some really good shots. And even the outfit, the guy said I, he'd never seen Buffalo on that ranch die so quickly as what these, this gun she brought. I mean, he totally pretty much ate crow and it admitted that, that it did a phenomenal job. But the, the whole point I'm trying to get at is like, she caught, probably could have shaken a sixth creed more, to be honest. It's more about the, the perfect placement of that bullet. If you put the bullet where it's supposed to go, right. an animal's going to die. Like the, the whole overkilling stuff of giant magnums. To be realistic, it's kind of really BS because historically, you can look at what people use way back in the day, like Teddy Roosevelt days of killing elephant and stuff. Yep, no one would even think about killing big game with what they used to use. No. We've gotten in this in our head that we can overkill animals and and not justify practicing and being good marksmen. You can always buy something bigger that'll kill it easier, and that, I would call BS. You can gut shoot an animal.
0: With a 50 bng it's still going to run off. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, this this was one of those things that was that was really really with me back in back in the 90s, George. Because like I started I started hunting whitetail, you know, with uh, 175 grain Sierra Match Kings. You know, it was we are 308 guys. You know, it, that's all we shot. You know, none of these other things existed. And so I got into a couple of those um, arguments on the internet. And you know, you, you're still you're still a you know, <laughs> but anyway. I wrote an article, I forget what website it was for, but it was just like, I feel like that the, at the time, you know, you'd go and spend a hunt, bunch of money on match grade and, or, uh, I mean, hunting grade ammunition, it was way more expensive than match grade at the time. And so it was like a trophy bonded bear claw and everything else. And I explained it in the fact that someone who is buying that to go hunting hunters don't really shoot that much. They only, they may go zero their rifle before hunting season, but they don't practice year round like I do. And you do. Um, and so they needed that bullet to perform better terminally because they were probably not going to get the optimum shot on it. But I never worried about that because I was shooting the match King, but I knew I was going to put a hole in the heart. And if I put in the hole in the heart at a supersonic velocity, I knew the result of that, the animal's going to die and it's going to die cleanly and humanely. Um, and then I, I always go back to them and say, think about it. You know, we, we nearly wiped out the Buffalo with round lead balls. You know what I mean? Yeah. (laughs) And that was people who actually knew how to shoot. Yep.
1: And you can use the archery argument too because you can figure out the the energy of a a broadhead slicing through an elk is somewhere around 340 foot pounds of energy. Mm -hmm. But yet you read all these articles written by people that say you have to have a minimum of 1,000 foot pounds of energy with the rifle you're using to cleanly kill an elk or a deer or whatever. Right. No. You really don't, because the Indians have proved that to this day. They still pretty much hunt everything with a twenty two Winchester mag. Yep. <laughs> a twenty two yep. Win Mag like what every Native American still hunts, what it seems like. Yeah, absolutely. All their,
0: well, their there's, been, meat hunting, there's so. been more stuff killed with a twenty two long rifle than all other cartridges combined. There's just oh, no 100%. question about that. But, you know, I remember seeing a, an old black and white video of Fred Bear killing an elephant with his bow. Yeah, and it's kind of like, yeah, I mean, it's just, it. I mean, he go in there and you slice up the heart and the result, the result is given at that point. So, yeah, well, I'm it, glad that so that worked out for me. her. I'm, I'm glad it worked out and I'm glad that that guy, you know, the thing about it is that guy, probably not his fault, man. He probably never, he was probably never exposed to someone who was, you know, going to bring a, a state of the art cartridge out there. And, you know, see, he mentioned 30-06, out so you kind of know his lineage. So it's not really his right, fault. Sure that's no. that's the way he grew up. No,
1: I, I get it. I 100% knew that. I wasn't going to call the guy and argue with him. I just you know mentioned that you know listen the the, the gun will cleanly kill that animal. I wouldn't have sent you there with it it not but like my point would have been more importantly like these people that want to hunt spend the spend the time at the range like practicing and be super crazy confident in your gear and and your ability and the caliber's not very crucial at that point.
0: No, I don't think so i mean i I really don't i mean it's it's like the you know, the, the comparison, you know, there with, you know, the, the Nell guy, you know, it's just, it's, you know, sometimes, sometimes you can get a great kill, you know, and, and a great shot and they're still going to move a little bit, but they're, they're essentially dead at that point. You know, they're, they just haven't gotten the adrenaline out of their system yet. So it worked out. Okay. So what's kind of what, go ahead.
1: I was just going to say, it's kind of why the Corny offers a six, five PRC now a seven PRC and a 300 PRC, because there are guys that, we're not shoot big game with anything less than a 30 guy I mean Mm -hmm. I know the guy but I I even are friends with some guys that think that way and then there's guys that say well you know, you don't need a 30 but you need at least a 7 and there's the guys that hey I'd rather have the the low recoil and the flat shooting of the 6.5 I mean the whole reason those three exist and there's not just one is because there's guys that think differently and they're I'm not sure why people think that way but it's it's again We've ingrained in our heads as a society, as of hunters, that you can overkill things. Like right. you don't just kill it; you overkill it. I, right. I don't get it, but I, I still think practice makes perfect.
0: I do too, man. But you know, just imagine, just imagine how glorious it would be to have a charging cape buffalo and drop him with a four seventy nitro express in a <laughs> no, double rifle.
1: I hundred percent I, I get that. Yeah. Well. Uh, you know, that, I don't know how long that picture ago was taken, there's that picture that's in your uh, bunkhouse in the kitchen area of you, like it's a hog or a deer or something underneath the target that was at your 1,000-yard range, I believe. It had to have been in the 80s or early 90s or something, you know, mm. when that picture was taken. I know you know which
0: one I'm talking about. Which one? It was a, a pig?
1: I believe it's a pig, but it's like sitting on a mound. I think there's even a target there. Like you can tell that this pig must have been eating something right next to one of your long-range targets. Yeah. And you popped it with a three hundred eight. I'm sure, way back in the day.
0: Yeah. Well, that was that one. That was that one pig. The one pig I got with three hundred win mag was at fifteen seventy four. And then that was probably yeah. Picture
1: of that one there. Yeah, oh, I do. So here's here's my point. Like, can you imagine back then? someone writing an article on long range killing of pigs at fifteen hundred yards, like like I guarantee you there've been ninety nine percent of the people just calling bullshit out altogether where yep. me and you have gotten to see like firsthand like the change and even thought process of, of long range hunting and long yep. range shooting even because no one ever like yeah, they they had matches at you know, the Wimbledon Cup of a thousand yard shooting, you know, at Camp Perry, but right. no one was taking shots on animals that long no one's even thinking about it in fact if you were a publisher and you publish an article about that you'd probably get you know shunned off by 90 percent of the hunting but now you know with the better optics the better cartridges the, the bullet designs that are that are allowing the bcs and the you know the, the the tightness of those bcs being true like those shots and i'm not telling everyone to go out and shoot at 1500 yards that's What I am saying is that shots that were made back then and considered ethical, that's gaps tripled probably. If not quadrupled. And we've gotten to see that like firsthand. Like we've we've been alive and in this game to see that
0: change yeah and, and it's and exactly. it, it, you're right and it's everything everything that's working together you know everything has worked together to bring it to that point you know so it wasn't just one thing you know it was it was i think it was better metallurgy you know for barrels i think it was better bullet design just like you said and obviously you know scope. yeah it's all of it put together but did you know the story behind that shot george no i actually don't i just remember always seeing that picture when i
1: stand there for matches and stuff and i just knew that Like I'd never shot anything that far back then. I've shot a couple antelope at 1400 now, but back then I'd never even thought about trying to pop something that far.
0: Nah, I wasn't. I had it in my mind. I had it in my mind. I wanted to get the pig beyond 1550. You know what I mean? That's what I wanted. And so the area that I set up for that was it, it, it was like 1574. And so What I did was, is I went out there and it was a 300 Win mag and I was hand loading my own stuff at that point. And I I put a LaRue target out there and I just got my data. You know what I mean? I got my data for that. And then I, of course, put the soured corn to bring in the pigs. And in my mind, what that had to be is that it had to be a one shot kill. I wasn't going to walk the bullet into him. You know what I mean? It had to be a one shot kill. And so sometimes the pigs would show up out to the corn and I wouldn't sometimes I would and they wouldn't. And sometimes I would just flat out miss. You know what I mean? So it took me I think it took uh, six rounds, uh, six days, you know, but over the over a course of probably, you know, 45 days. But um, but that's the way that worked out. And it was you could definitely tell you could definitely tell the trajectory of the round. I mean, it went in on on top of his spine so you can kind of imagine what we were doing with that you know it was crazy even 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 factory you know 300 wind mag now would have better ballistics or especially the you know the 191 from the military with 190 and 200 grade 220 grain bullets you know that for the 300 wind mag they just and again that was that's because you know advancements in powder and, and uh and everything else so it worked out really good but yeah things have changed since those old days man as my laser range finder was a a stick or two sticks with a 300 foot piece of rope between them, you know, and just walk out every hundred yards. Man. <laughs> it's like
1: That's a good point. Like the first laser range finders that came out that said about, they did a thousand yards. In reality, they only did really about
0: 350 yep. every time. Yeah. Yeah. It would go a thousand yards if you were, if you were ranging like the side of a mall. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah. And
1: now we got stuff that's, you know, within price point of, you know, a lot of hunters, maybe not all of them, that, that will legitimately do twenty five hundred yards and they'll hit a thousand every time, regardless of the surface. So I mean yep. just all the stuff that's like changed that was unobtaining and even for the military when we first got into this is now like the you know common gear used by by everyone in the hunting field and the competition. So yeah, for just, sure. Just mind boggling to me to you know, we've kind of been in the era to see probably the most change in long range in the rifle and ballistics.
0: Just, know, of any generation right now. Oh yeah, absolutely. Just a huge spike. You know, and, and we were. I was talking yes, about that is,
1: World War yep. One, Vietnam. Like, not much really changed.
0: No, it sure didn't. Like, and look at
1: the scopes. Look at the scopes that were being used then. Like, even Carlos all of his long shots were like stuff he podged together using you know, you know, armor slash artillery mounts on a 50 cal and stuff yep. like, you know, the scopes were really archaic even then. And, and to see where it's gone, you know, in the last 20 years is crazy. I mean, it's really just crazy how far.
0: It's explosive advanced, is what you know. it is. It's explosive. It's yeah. like you said, it, it stayed kind of the same, you know, for, for decades and yeah. decades and decades. And then, you yeah. know, the, some of the guys in Vietnam were using the Redfield hunting scopes, you know, and switch to the Unurdle after that. Yeah. And, you know, then do you look at, you look at what we can go, look at what we can go just and buy a scope at Walmart and look at what we can get. You know, we can get one that's yeah. going to do everything we ask it to do. And so it's just, it's just insane. And
1: think of even the the, the first mill dot scopes the Marine Corps played with in the eighties, they used them for ranging stuff, but that like, they didn't, it wasn't much later until they started figuring out, Hey, we can actually use these dots to hold over stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then, and then think of how many scopes had mill dots in them, that they had MOA turrets on them, which to me was like, who thought this
0: through? I don't know. You know, I I think I think where it came from, George, is I think it was it was a military thing back then. You know what I mean? We adjusted an MOA because we're America and and we think in inches and we put people on the moon and nobody else does. But then whenever to their credit, to their credit, the Marine Corps was the first one who went mil mil in the military. And so I agree ever since then. now now everyone. Yeah, everyone's doing it. And uh, I guess the holdout was the holdout in the branches was the Navy. But they're they've got that sorted out now. So, I mean, (laughs) you're right. And then, you know, you start to look at, you know, all the, all of the different reticles that are out there. And it's like the, you know, you know, I used to be a Horace guy. And um, yeah. so it was like the, the one that, you know, I think that they should have stopped with like the H25. I think they got a little bit too much stuff in there. Yours, the G2, the real uh, skeletonized type Christmas tree, right. that, that G2 reticle, I ran that for the longest time in my Bushnells just because of that yeah. fact because if i wanted to hold yeah. over i could but i didn't have to and the it wasn't you know it wasn't just like boom in your face all of these lines in there and so Again, now you go and you look at the, you know, H58s or something like that or even like the Trimmer 3 and there's a lot of information in there. If you got a lot of time to sit down and figure out exactly what each one of those things will do, I mean it, it can actually work for you, but it, we we train more here of like you you're, you're going to centralize on what you're going to hit and we're going to go and do that right now. I mean, we're not going to we're not going to have any thinking on it at all. And it's crazy how,
1: how how you get so stuck on what you've used. Like I've used that G2 and now a G4, which the only difference is there's some mover holes in there to make it a little bit easier in comp. Mm-hmm. But that reticle has gotten so ingrained in my head that when I look through other reticles, like when I'm at the range zero and customers' guns or, mm-hmm. you know, pick up someone else's gun at the range and try it out, like it's – I wouldn't say it's confusing because they're, they're so similar in that, they're, you know, they're mill n- n- no grid based. but even the ones that have a little bit different thickness or – or maybe they put some extra hash marks there to me it's like i'm so used to looking in what i've been looking at for the last you know 15 years yep. that if i look through anything else it just bothers me i don't know why <laughs> i've gotten more i even told the bushnell guys a time or two like even if like you guys quit making these scopes i'd probably shoot them until they broke because i'm so used to that radical it's hard for me to shoot anything else
0: yeah so, well what gets really bad is because you know the 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 thing about it, you know, you know, I spend an inordinate amount of time looking through a spotting scope, you know, spotting for, you know, clients and stuff like that that are here in classes. And George, I can pick up, I can pick up a, uh, you know, just a regular one, a regular spotting scope with no reticle. And I can call your corrections in 10th of a mils at any range. You know what I mean? It's like,
1: especially on your own property, because, you know, the distance from every little facet of your property and how it subtends inside that scope so
0: yeah and it's it's amazing seen,
1: how many how many billion hits have you seen on those berms out there in man your I, don't there? I don't know <laughs> i don't know i
0: don't know i tell you what i i bet you if i went out and mined all those berms for all the lead and copper I bet you I wouldn't have to work anymore.
1: <laughs> you probably wouldn't. You'd probably be mind-boggling how much lead and copper
0: is in there. Oh man, it's crazy! It's crazy! It's crazy! Well, hey man, back to the back to this other thing. You do you have any? I know that I know that you you like to travel around and you like to shoot. I know you like to shoot. You know um, everything. Uh, I know you like to wing hunt. I know that you like to fish. Um, you got any any hunting trips coming up?
1: Um, I do actually, leave uh Wednesday to finish up my deer season in Montana. Mm-hmm. I was up there elk hunting earlier and got a really nice big 367 inch bull. Oh, cool. Um, and I I could have finished up deer hunting there. I, I did find a nice wide wheel deer that, that would have been a pretty easy stalking to kill. But I always like going there during the rut because the rut's so amazing in this area. Like the deer just start acting crazy. Plus, a lot more deer end up on this property from yep. you know, all the other surrounding areas. So mm-hmm. I just kind of put it in my head that I was going to come back during the rut. So I'm going to head to Montana Wednesday, probably spend four or five days there hunting the rut. And then
0: I'm
1: going to go back to the same spot in December and and do a pheasant hunt with a a client of mine.
0: Cool. That's probably
1: rounded out for me. I may do a little deer hunting in Missouri, either on my property or our shooting range. It's got some woods around it, but Mm -hmm. um, I've gotten to where i just kind of like hunting out West. I don't know what it is. It's just, I'm not much of a deer stand hunter sitting there freezing, waiting for something to walk by, I like driving around or walking around spotting something and make a play on. it. It's just to me, it's I wouldn't say it's more sporting because I think all of it's sporting, but you know, yeah, it's just what I like doing, I guess.
0: Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. Hey, have, have you ever shot a red stack?
1: I have not, but I, I do have a, a hunt planned for next year. A really good friend of mine, Simon Barr, he's actually got he all the magazines in Europe for our sport. Mm-hmm. Um, I hunted with him this year. I've actually met him a few times at shows. He's just a really good dude. Mm-hmm. He invited me to go hunt the Scottish Highlands for a red stag. Cool. And I've never been to Scotland. I've been to England. I've been to Ireland once, but I'm really excited about going to Scotland and, and hunting a, a true, you know, red stag up in the hills.
0: Right. A lot well, of people
1: don't realize I was red right taking New Zealand. were put there. All the originals came from Europe.
0: So. Yeah, yeah. Well, I got I got the one. My dad and I went to New Zealand for it, and um, yep. it was it was crazy. I mean, we ended up with uh, he ended up with a gold, and I ended up with a silver, and it was just That's crazy. It well, New,
1: but New Zealand New Zealand just blows me away when I see pictures of it. I really want to get there
0: sometime too. George, it? it doesn't look real. I mean, whenever you get there and you look out across these lakes and stuff. I mean, you'll say that is computer generated. That's not real. Yeah. That is not real, and it, it looks like that in every direction. It is absolutely incredibly gorgeous. Yeah. I mean, it is it is great, and it, it must be a a really good place for those um, for those red stag. I mean, they have elk down there too. You know, they're which are imports. Yeah, we, but they get like
1: anywhere. You know, Texas ended up being the home of a lot of African species because there's something about Texas, and a lot of those species live very well. And it's The yep. same thing there in New Zealand with the elk and
0: yeah, the and Northern Europe stuff. Species.
1: Yeah, that stuff just does really well in New Zealand. So
0: Yeah, yeah. Well we raised we raised ostriches for a while and um, you know, you know where they come from and they, they did fine yeah. in South Texas. I mean, they were great yeah. here. I mean they just loved it. Yeah. Well brother yeah, we'll Go ahead. There's a few of those I
1: was gonna say there's a few species in Africa that don't live in Texas and it has something to do with the ticks, but if the, the ones that do really well in Texas are the ones that can get through whatever ticks you guys have down there.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah, it makes you crazy. I don't know, man. I always thought that if we wanted to if we wanted to solve the border border crisis, we could go and get some hippos and put them in the Rio
1: Grande. <laughs> you definitely could. Sure.
0: <laughs> yeah, just let them, let them sit there in for shock. a couple yeah, a couple of years to sit there and they the hippos decide, you know, you know, this is my river. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, 100 that would be awesome.
0: Yeah. Hey, well, George, listen, it's coming up on my time. Um, I know that you got some stuff to do, and uh, I, yep. I, I really appreciate you taking the time with us here. It's, uh, it, no it's always good, good. To, good to visit with you, uh, no matter what the topic. I mean, like I told you beforehand, you and I could talk about so many different things, and I wanted to talk a little bit about about the, the cartridges and, and GA, but I wanted to you know go into that hunting stuff. But we still have a lot of other topics. I, I would hope that uh, you would come back and join us again sometime.
1: For sure. We still need to do that tuna trip down there on these
0: days. I know, it's, I know. It's, it's I know. like a
1: bucket, bucket list thing of mine to get down there and do that with you.
0: Yeah, and we're getting to that month. You know that that uh, December, December, January. That's when it turns into into it. The guy, the uh, the boat captain that we use, he's he's offshore California currently, bluefin fishing. So. Mm-hmm. He says hey man give me your give me your fedex number because i'm going to send you some fish i said here it is right here
1: <laughs>
0: Heck yeah yeah you'll, they'll freeze that up and it'll, it'll show up here in pristine condition so i can't wait i'll probably call you and gloat saying that i'm having some you know blue fin
1: <laughs> and the old guy on the
0: side. yeah and no guy on the side well yeah man well hang on after i'm gonna go ahead and close this out hang on after and then you and i can uh, visit privately for just a second and again thank you george gardner ga precision uh og rifle builder for our game this is this is the man Thank you, sir. I appreciate it.
1: You're welcome. Anytime.